Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. On what is a, a very surreal day, it is March 17th, about four o'clock in the afternoon here in central Minnesota. Um, my, my little hometown, which has not had a, a case yet of the coronavirus uh, yet, is pretty much empty. Uh, the streets are bare. There are no cars out. Um, the shops are, are bare except for the, the grocery store, which is starting now to be picked clean over. I did stop by today, actually, just to look. Um, I had to go out for a reason, and so I, I did that. I know you're all experiencing similar things in your, uh, in your areas and uh, probably have that same kind of surreal feeling that I have, the sense that we knew this was possible. We knew that kind of everything around us, uh, what has sometimes been called the, the everything bubble. Uh, Jim Kunstler calls it the long emergency. Um, you know, you, you, you look around and you just see fragility everywhere and you kind of know where it goes and how it ends, but to watch it actually transform in front of your eyes, even for someone who like me has, has been thinking about this for a long time is very surreal. And if you're having feelings of anxiety or, you know, kind of related uh, reactions to this, I think that's very real, very human. I actually, last week, was in Florida um, at Disney World, of all places. Uh, we had our staff retreat uh, there. As I think most of you know, our office has always been a virtual office. Um, it's interesting to watch people now transfer to working at home. We've we've always worked at home. Uh, I've worked at home for over a decade now with Strong Towns. Um, our entire staff works around the country in different places, and we get together two, three times a year uh, to to meet in person, to do things that really work better in person than virtually. And uh, last week was that scheduled week. We have three new people actually that started this year. Uh, we got them all together for some training, and then we had the rest of the team come in, and we did a, a couple things uh, as a staff together. Uh, we were scheduled on Thursday to spend the day at Hollywood Studios at the Disney theme park. We had an exercise we were going to go through while standing in lines and, and going out to eat. I had some dinner reservations for us and that kind of thing. Um, we were there on Wednesday, and Wednesday we worked all day at an Airbnb, and then we left and went to Disney Springs for dinner. We had reservations for us at a restaurant there, which was very good. Um, we enjoyed a, a meal together, and then we walked over to the bowling alley. And as kind of our tradition, we spent the evening bowling. And I think we were all a little apprehensive, right? We were all like, you know, a little uptight. We had talked a little bit about uh, coronavirus and how it was going to affect what we were doing and, and how we were working on things. But, um, you know, it, it was still one of these kind of building threats that we were aware of. It, it wasn't like real in real time for us. Uh, I think we had an experience very similar to many of you where Wednesday night we were out and, uh, and bowling in a, in a bowling alley that was not very full um, I've been to Disney Springs many times. I've been to this bowling alley many times. Uh, it's usually pretty full. Uh, it was pretty empty, as was a lot of things there. Um, and we're sitting there 
and during the kind of second half of the first game, we started to get these reports. Um, the NBA has canceled, suspended their, their season and doesn't know when they'll resume. Uh, one NBA player has tested uh, positive now for coronavirus. At that point, it was one. Now it's, uh, I think, three, up to three. Uh, you got reports of Major League Baseball suspending their season, of the NCAA canceling March Madness. Um, these were coming across the TV and they were coming across everybody's phones and my you know, watch as I was sitting there, I was getting these alerts. And I could just see, I mean, I looked at my team and I love these people. Um, I think they're some of the most genius people I know and, and, and I just really deeply care about them and I could feel the tension rising and the, uh, the, the, the kind of anxiety uh, starting to build. That night we went back to our Airbnb and I said, let's take a vote. What do you guys want to do? And it was unanimous. Nobody wanted to go to the theme park the next day. Nobody was interested in doing that. And the reason was is that people were starting to get scared. And I, I think reasonably so. Um. We did our work the next day. We got up and instead of going and having time at the park, we all sat around and did our work kind of at the table and, and had Zoom some people in on TV who weren't able to be there. And, you know, had a, had a really good day. But, you know, when, when we plan to spend 12, 13, 14 hours at a theme park, um, that's probably about seven or eight hours of, of meeting and then, uh, you know, hours of, of other things like riding on rides and you know, doing stuff that is, is fun and splits up the day and makes the meeting actually not seem that long and, and go very well. Um, that, uh, uh, you know, we got done in the early afternoon and I was happy with how things went, although, you know, obviously disappointed that we didn't get to have the experience together that we planned. I kind of looked around at everybody and everybody was getting texts from home, like, come home. Um, I'm nervous. I was getting these from my wife. Hey, are, are you okay? Like, I'm nervous. I wish you were home. I, I feel like I would like to have my family here. And so at one point we just sat down and said, all right, everybody needs to go home. And amazingly, the airlines uh, had dropped their prices significantly. We actually changed flights and saved money on, on my flight, on other people's flights, um, got people home a lot earlier. Um, we were sitting there at one point and I said, okay, you, you, and you need to go home. Uh, figure it out. And I called an Uber and I said, you go get cha- go, go get packed. Your Uber's here in 15 minutes. You're going. And just shipped a bunch of people off to the airport. And they're like, we're going home. Um, I think that was the, that was the moment that, that evening before when the news started to roll in. And then the next day when we were kind of done working and like, okay, what do we do now? Where it was like, I, I think we need to get people home. I don't know if the flights are going to be traveling much longer. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Of course, arrived home and uh, the kids, you know, were home from school, came home from school that day that was wound up to be their last day of school. Uh, but they were anticipating going back Monday over the weekend. It was announced, nope, uh, you won't be going. You, you will be going Monday and Tuesday, but Wednesday uh, school is canceled statewide. Um, then come Sunday, nope, school is going to be canceled on Monday. So you're not going back. And you know, we've been hunkered down ever since. It's very surreal. And, you know, I've talked to parents, I've talked to friends. Um, 
I've talked to neighbors, obviously, and others. Um, you know, th- th- there's there's been kind of a, I don't know, a, a reaching out of people, uh, kind of broadly, people I haven't talked to for a long time, uh, contacting me just to to check in and to say hi. Uh, but I think we're all kind of feeling this in a way, like, you know, the, I, I keep going back to the uh, the Lenin quote, and I, I I don't mean John Lennon, I mean Vladimir Lenin. Uh, back in the Russian Revolution, who said, you know, there are, there are decades when nothing happens, and then there are weeks when decades happen. And this is one of those weeks where decades are happening. At Strong Towns here, we've long talked about and discussed how fragile our society is, how fragile our development pattern is, how the, the very kind of foundation of our economy is built on this very fragile um you know, set of cultural beliefs, this very fragile set of financial transactions, um, this very fragile uh, set of, of, of systems that we have created. Um, it, it is not difficult, and, and I, I wrote this actually a while back, um, you know, we will blame the coronavirus for this. Uh, I don't think historians will blame the coronavirus for what happens next. I think historians uh, will look at the rickety bridge that we have created and they will rightly blame the rickety bridge, not the last car that drove across it. Um, It's hard to see today how we ever go back. And I I say that, you know, with some apprehension um, because I don't know what the future will bring. But I also say that with a lot of optimism. Um, a, a lot of optimism about the future. Um, this economy, um, our cities, uh, you know, the, 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 the very dysfunction that we've been debating uh, at, you know, at the national level in our dysfunctional politics for, for many, many election cycles now. You know, are we going to lunge far, far left? Are we going to lunge far, far right? Each election, it gets more and more extreme. Um, simply because there are no good ways to resolve this thing and preserve all of the systems and all the functioning that we've had the way we've had it. We created a series of complicated systems that were designed to solve the problems of the Great Depression and World War II. Um, They were designed to uh, end the business cycle, right? To smooth things out. Uh, to get rid of volatility. And, you know, we look and we see periods of time where that happened, uh, where we were able to, for long stretches of time, have prosperity, have rising standards of living, have, you know, uh, well, we're going to start sending everybody to college. We're going to get everybody through high school. We're going to, um, you know, Im- get everybody more stuff, get everybody bigger lots, get everybody more cars. Um, you know, we... When we measure all these things, we were able to, for a long period of time, provide this ridiculously high standard of living. For those of you that have read my book, I go through this in, in chapter five in some detail, how these very logical steps to try to improve life over time become this trap. They become this thing that you can't like back down from. And when given the opportunity to make hard choices, you know, do we... A, uh, rework how we're doing things 
respond to this painful feedback that you know things really aren't working with some adjustments in our approach, our behavior, our um, you know way of, of of developing and building our places? Do we question these systems we built, or do we be borrow more money, um, print more money? Uh, pump more capital and pump more, you know, efficiency into our system. In the idea that if we just did more and more and more, it will get us to a better place. We consistently have chosen B. We've consistently chosen, um, and it's funny because we've shrouded it. We've 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 wrapped it in this idea of bravery and courage. Even the people who are talking modern monetary theory a year ago, we're talking about having the courage to see this in a different way and the courage to, you know, print and borrow as much money as we need. Um, I, I find this language kind of ludicrous, right? Uh, it's not courageous. Um, courageous would be actually not giving in to the human impulse, but not giving in to the idea that, you know, this is a, this is a hill we've conquered uh, that we can't back down from. And so we're backing down from this hill. Uh, I don't see how things go back to the way they were. And I say that, it's funny because I've been, I listen to to, uh, CNBC uh, quite a bit. I almost said MSNBC. I've I've never listened to MSNBC, Fox News, uh, rarely CNN. I do listen to CNN on like election night, but that's like once every four years. Uh, I don't listen to to those cable news networks, but I I do turn on CNBC, and part of it is just to get get a get. It's almost like I'm I'm practicing a foreign language, right? You know how when you learn a foreign language, it goes away if you don't practice it, and I feel like turning on CNBC now and then is is a way to exercise that foreign language because. They talk about the world. They talk about life. They talk about things, but in just bizarre terms, terms that make no sense because they don't comport to any reality that we experience, yet they are literally shaping the way we respond to uh, things like uh, this global pandemic. And so I've been watching a little bit of CNBC lately, and it's fascinating because like the debate last week or two weeks ago was, you know, will this be, will we have a downturn or not? Uh, will growth slow or not? And then it was, will we have a recession or not? Or no, it wasn't even that yet. We weren't even to that point. It was, you know, uh, will this be a like two week or three week thing or will it will it be longer? Will will there be ultimately be a recession? Will we have negative growth for a quarter or will extend beyond that? Um, I, I, it's bizarre land. It's bizarre land. And the the thing that is bizarre about it is that every single increment of change has like shifted that Overton window, right? It's, it's created a whole new realm of possibility. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. And I, I don't say this, take this the right way. I'm, I'm not going to say this as a way to, uh, to brag or what have you. I did a whole podcast a, a year and change ago about my own investment portfolio and how I had most of my money in cash uh, or money markets or things that were like ridiculously stable. Um, and I had other things and I went through and talked about them. I'm not going to do that again now. But one of the things that I owned is I owned some S&P 500 puts. Um, a put option is an option for you to sell uh, at a certain price within a certain time period. And I own a bunch of S&P 500 put options. So I have the right to sell people uh, 
um, shares of the S&P 500 index um, at a certain strike price. Well, I'll just tell you the strike price. I had some at 200 and some at 225. For those of you that know options, uh, those were very out of the money options when I bought them. I bought them, I don't know, a year ago, change. I bought some cents, some added some. I try to keep some that are far dated out. I own some at 200. I own some at 225. Um, that means that I am able to, at any point between now and uh, whenever they expire, which is quite a ways in the future, sell people uh, shares of the S&P 500 index, and they have to buy them at 200 or 225. Well, just a month ago, the S&P 500, um, the SPY, the SPY, uh, was trading at something like 320 or 330. The S&P 500 index was at 3300. I mean, it was SPY is a 10% of the index. Um, these are in, these are insane. Like this was insane. Low. To say that my my options were worthless would I mean they were like they had lost like 96% of their value. There was no market for them. No one was trading them. They were way 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 out of the money. These were almost worthless investments that I was just had sitting there essentially as insurance. Um, on the days when uh, the stock market has been way, way, way down, um, those options have gone far up. And and I want to say yesterday, we closed at like 2,400 something on the S&P. So 240 on the, um, I think it was 243 on the SPY where I've got the put options. And so all of a sudden my 225 put options are in the money. There, is it? It's actually like reality that they could be cashed in. This is what I mean by things shifting. Every day, things shift. And they're shifting in like earthquake, seismic, you know, ways. Like, you know, seven plus on the Richter scale kind of ways. Day after day after day after day. This virus isn't going away. And, you know, I, I, I've listened to some some uh, epidemiologists discuss this. I've listened to some scientists discuss this at length. Um, the, the, probably one of the most telling things that were pointed out to me is that, you know, if, if you, you think about like the way we actually end this as a vaccine, vaccines take time to grow. I mean, whether it's a, whether it works or not, and that's a whole nother process, they take time to culture. They take time to grow. You can't have a baby and then make them an adult in three weeks. There's a, there's a maturing process that they go through to get to adulthood. And when you think about viruses that you're going to test different strains or you're going to develop them or you're going to put them in different animals uh, to test you know, whether they're going to hurt people or not, you're, you're talking about something that takes time. It, it's, it's a physical constraint that cannot be rushed. And it's not like the FDA is, is going to be bureaucratic. The holdup, it's not that, you know, the lawyers are going to step in and say, well, 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 you've got, you know, that's not the delay. The delay is just nature. Like nature takes a while to brew this stuff, to, to, to actually, you know, create, uh, the, 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 you know, to the, the, the living organisms to make this happen. This is not going to be over soon. Um, we're, 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 we're not quarantined in the sense that we're locked in. I think San Francisco and parts of California are the only places I'm aware of in North America right now that have that, but we've been encouraged to stay home. I firmly believe in this. 
Um, I think most of you at this point have probably seen the idea of flattening the curve. If you haven't, just very quickly, the idea is that we only have a finite number of beds in our emergency response system. We have a finite capacity in our emergency response system. If we're essentially all going to get it or 50% or 60% of us are going to get this virus at some point, it would be far, far better for us to have that happen over a six-month, nine-month, 12-month period of time than to have it happen within a one-month period of time. Because if all of us show up at the hospital in the next month, there's not going to be enough room. But if we can spread out the rate at which people go in over a number of months, uh, there'll be room for everybody and we can give everybody the highest quality of treatment. That's called uh, shifting the curve or lowering the curve or bending the curve. I've heard it said different ways, but the idea is to take this surge and flatten it out and spread it out over a longer period of time. When you look at what's gone on in Italy, it's been the opposite, right? All of a sudden, you know, no one's sick, no one's sick, no one's sick. Few people are sick, a cluster here, a cluster there, bam. Scores of people are sick. That's what the exponential growth function does to you. And so all of a sudden, you know, they're uh, giving reports, you know, where where healthy middle-aged people that just need to be like intubated or given, uh, you know, a respirator or what have you can't get access to that. Because the surge, because the uh, the hospitals are overwhelmed, and people who could be saved with just routine treatment um, are being denied that treatment just simply because there isn't capacity. That's that's what we're trying to do. So I'm at home. I'm at home with my wife and my daughters and my dog, and uh, you know we've got a a little bit of food. I've, I'm, I laugh because I have created the um, the strategic diet Mountain Dew reserve is what I've called it. <laughs> uh, but I think at the end of the day, you know, we are going to have to, and, and as Jim Kunstler has said for a long, long time, uh, make different arrangements, uh, adjust to a new reality. I don't know what this is going to look like. I really don't know what it's going to look like. Um, I can tell you what's going to happen, you know, from the CNBC crowd, we're going to do whatever we can to prop this sucker up. You know, I, I, I go back to the Winston Churchill quote, you know, you can always count on America to do the right thing after they've exhausted all of their options. And I, I kind of feel like that's, that's what we're going to go through. We're going to go through the 12 stages of grief and we're going to like linger a long time on denial, on denial, right? We're going to try to prop this thing back up and, and make it all work again and make it all go back to the way it was. I don't think it's going back to the way it was. So there's two things here that I think are urgent takeaways today. First of all, as strong towns advocates, it's our time, right? Like we've been preparing for a long time uh, to have local leaders assert themselves, to, to basically have uh, an example for others to follow, have the ideas be in place uh, to, to share them and, and have them take hold. Essentially, fill the void, fill the vacuum that's being left by others uh, as this whole kind of edifice of fragility starts to be exposed and recede. This is our time. Like we've, we're ready for this. We're here. Let's, let's step up and do it. And I, I think the other part is that, you know, our economy is going to get local very, very quick. Um, people are going to need us to help explain that 
to help walk them through that, to help deal with those 12 stages of grief and, and get them to a place where they can actually start to do something productive. And we can save lives. We can improve people's lives. We can actually make the world a better place if we get on this, if, if, if we assert ourselves, if we stand up and at the local level say, all right, no one's coming to rescue us. No one's going to fix this. No one is going to make this all better. No one's going to put this all back together again. We need to do this. So at Strong Towns, we um, have been talking about this now internally. And we're going to do a little bit of shifting in our programming. This podcast usually comes out on Mondays. Uh, We actually held an episode we had in reserve because we're like, nope, let's rethink this and and figure out where we're at. Um, We're in the process right now of, in a sense, retooling a little bit so that we can shift our conversation, not from, you know, from, from the idea of like, here's the problem and here's, you know, let's help you understand this to, all right, we're in it now. What's coming next? How do we handle it? Let's work together. Let's figure this out. That's where we're at. And so expect to see a lot more from us here on this channel. Um, we're going to try to, I mean, I, my travel schedule is now down to nothing. Um, I'm booked, you know, into November and, uh, basically like the next couple of months have just gotten wiped out, like completely canceled. And so I'm going to be around, uh, I'm going to have extra time, extra capacity. I'm not going to be getting on flights and flying places. I'm not going to be doing events all over. So we're going to lean into this moment and we're going to help, uh, you, Strong Towns Advocate, uh, be able to speak competently about what is going on, to be able to be the leader in the room, uh, to have the information you need to share with others, to bring them along, and to help us essentially reposition our community conversation and reposition our efforts so that the job of rebuilding our places after this pandemic, after this economic collapse, after all the transition we go through, to recover to a level of prosperity as robustly as we can, as quickly as we can, as thoroughly as we can. This is our moment. And so hang in there. Um, I, I really feel like if you want one bit of advice right now, here's what we're all doing on staff. We're all taking time every day to go meet our neighbors. Um, and that might not mean physically go meet them. That might mean virtually go meet them or go, you know, exchange phone numbers uh, from the the porch or what have you. Um, but, uh, you know, get get connected to the people around you. Those are the people that are going to help you rebuild. That's really step number one. Uh, I'm going to invite you as kind of a final thought here uh, to go to our community site, community.strongtowns.org. We are collecting stories there and connecting people. And so what we want to do is we want to hear the best ideas that you have for dealing with this today. What are the heroes in your community out there doing uh, to get through this? And we want to be able to share those stories with others. We want to be able to uh, learn from you and the great things that you're doing. And we want other people to be able to learn those lessons as well. If we can establish on the fly here the best practices for dealing with this global pandemic at the local level, uh, we can do a lot of good. Go there and, and share your ideas. You should also, if you're not already, get signed up to our email. 
Um, you can, on our website, just scroll down to the footer and sign up for email. Uh, you will get in our email now a, a stepped up routine of daily insights like this, daily tips, things you can work on, things you can do, uh, stuff you can share um, to help with this retooling so that when we emerge and, and, and come back out of our isolation and our homes, um, we're not going to go back to crazy. We're not going to go back to fragile. We're going to start where we are and we're going to build something real, something strong, something resilient, something that actually um, sustains our, our prosperity. You know, peace to all of you. Um, goodwill to all of you. Stay safe. Um, give the people in your life a big hug. And as I told the entire team here, when you fly on an airplane, they come on and they give you the safety briefing. They tell you if the oxygen mask comes down to put your own mask on before you go put someone else's on. Take that advice here. Uh, look after yourself. Um, try to keep a normal schedule. Um, try to eat healthy. Try to get some exercise. Try to talk to people on a daily basis. L look after yourself. Keep the news off. You can get all the headlines you need in, in 20 minutes of, of looking at the news. Don't sit and scroll the feeds. Don't sit and hang out and get every last detail. We got too much work to do, and, and you are too important to getting that work done. So take care of yourself. Love you guys. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Take care.